This morning we turn to the Word of God in Luke chapter 2. We'll begin reading with verse 22. I had in the bulletin 39, but we'll go back to 22. Luke 2, 22, the subject for the sermon this morning out of the law of God gives us opportunity to read a portion of Luke 2 that maybe somewhat gets neglected when we consider the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, but is significant with regard to the fifth commandment. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, they then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing, he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. 
But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We read that far this morning in God's Word and consider this morning the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39. Lord's Day 39 on the Fifth Commandment. It asks, what doth God require in the Fifth Commandment? Answer, that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me, and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience, and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is the perspective of the Reformed faith that the law of God that we consider as it's preached is no mere code of conduct, a law that simply comes to us as slaves and demands obedience. Uh, we saw that recently in connection with the sermon on the Lord, the God sending His Son to redeem us from the law. But that law comes to us as sons and daughters of God who have been adopted by Him. That's even brought out in the preface of the law. It comes to us as God's children. And therefore, it is rich, rich in instruction. One reason the Reformed faith does not cast away the law and tell us that since we are saved by grace, we are righteous by faith alone, therefore the law is of none effect and abolished. That's not what the Reformed faith says. There is, therefore, rich instruction. And one thing that's worth considering is this commandment, which is really short. It's a commandment lengthened by the fact that it comes with a promise. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, so little longer than some of the others, um, is nevertheless quite easily explained in and of itself. The Catechism's explanation of it here is among the shortest of the explanations of any of the commandments. And yet, there is great, great instruction here in this commandment. There's a lot that's to be found in it simply by meditating upon it and considering it in the light of God's Word. One thing that we learn a lot from is simply by noting that this is the first commandment of the second table of the law. So this is the very first commandment in the table of the law that we learned, teaches us the duties that we owe to our neighbor. It has to do with love for our neighbor. But we ought to be very impressed. We, we ought to be curious. We ought to consider, well, why is this one first? We know that when something comes first in a list or first in a commandment or an order, it, it says something. When parents give a commandment or an order to their children as they're heading out the door who will be alone for a while, usually it signals it's a very important thing to remember or to keep. It's one above all. And we saw that really with the first commandment of the first table in, in fact, there's really no mystery to it. One looks at that commandment and understands it's part of the first table of the law, what we owe our God, and that table being to love the Lord our God. Surely the first commandment will be, well then, love no other God, have no other God. If you're going to love God, then it's very important that you love only God, and that makes sense to us. 
But when you look at the second table, which is love your neighbor, one does not expect this commandment to be first, at least not on the face of it. One might perhaps consider the, the sixth commandment against murder. Maybe that should be first. That one, after all, at least seems to be the one that's the exact opposite of hatred or love. Love your neighbor, and the sixth commandment is about not hating your neighbor, not murdering him, which we know is hatred. But no, this one concerns parents. There is a lot of explanations that could be given, a, a lot of things to think about. In, in fact, I've toyed with an entire sermon on this before, one entire sermon on simply why is this commandment first. But if we think about it just a little bit, it should not be too much of a mystery to us, should it? Let's think about God. We know the commandments reflect the will of God. They have something to do with the very idea of God and His own life, and then, of course, our relationship to Him. They fundamentally really lay out our relationship to God and how we live with God. And it's amazing that in Jesus Christ, one of the things that we learn about God, and we are going to have this come up again when it comes to prayer, is that God is our Father. So think about it. The first table is all about serving God, but God is our Father. How then do we show our love for God most and best when it comes to our neighbor? We should understand that loving God also means then that we love our neighbor. Unless we're being completely ignorant or rebellious, I think all would recognize the truth of the Holy Scriptures that we show our love for God also by loving our neighbor. Well, how about that we honor our parents? That when we honor our father and mother, we show then therefore the honor that we have toward God our Father. Then consider the whole reality of the covenant, that the covenant is the main expression or theme with regard to our life with God. It can all be summarized as a covenant life. And it's a covenant established not only with believers, but their children. So that children are included in <clears throat> the covenant and salvation of God already as children. Well, then add to the fact that God establishes His covenant by His own Son, O Son, a Son. And a Son that came in human flesh, and human flesh that would be born of a mother, a Mary, and would come in flesh that must be subject to His own parents to save and redeem and establish and fulfill a covenant that God makes with children as well as parents. Without elaborating further, it should make sense, should it not? Consider with me this morning this calling from the fifth commandment to honor our parents, honor our parents. We notice in the first place the commandment, secondly the example, and lastly the blessedness. The commandment that comes to us this morning we ought to consider as a commandment addressed to children. Yes, we all know that the commandment may be summarized, as many of them can be, expanded beyond what is spoken in the Word. We all understand that the commandment 
against adultery really includes a much broader set of behaviors involving, involving all kinds of sexual impurity, any kind of fornication, even that outside of marriage. And we all understand that the commandment forbidding murder also forbids all kinds of things that, according to the civil commandments, would not be murder. Simply speaking with hatred or acting in hatred, God considers murder even when the secular law would not. So also, this commandment is very broad. We understand that it applies to us adults, and it applies to us with regard to the state. It, re, it, it, re, it, it, it applies to us adults as it regards the church and other things. There's even an application of the commandment with regard to one another. The Bible Importantly, when it even addresses the relationship of the husband and wife and makes sure we understand that the wife is in subjection to her husband as head, often introduces that by reminding us that the calling to be in subjection or honor authority, which is what that is, applies to all of us with regard to every one of us. There's one of the reasons why this commandment is first. It reflects the very fact that in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we as members of one body, we are all members of one body and we are all under one head, that means that, that fundamentally at its very basic level, as a church, as a congregation called out of the world by the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are all under his authority. And therefore, to a certain extent, one that even needs to be emphasized, so important it is, that we are all subject to one another. There should be in the body of Jesus Christ a reflection, uh, an acknowledgement, an aspect of our life that shows that we see, we recognize that every one of the children of God incorporated into the body of our Lord Jesus Christ come, that comes under His headship, therefore has a certain power and authority that's given to them as individuals. So that even though I as a parent, or even as a husband has authority over my children or over my wife, on the other hand, that authority must be exercised in such a way that I recognize she, my wife, who is under my authority, belongs to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ and not me. There must be a reflection of the fact that she also wears a crown given to her by Jesus Christ. She also is clothed with his robes and speaks or confesses his name. She too, in other words, is a prophet, priest, and king. And that must be true even of my children. My children who must obey my authority and power according to the commandment, I'm also subject to them. There's a, there's a certain recognition in the Christian home and family that my children too don't belong to me. They belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ who bought them. Now does it make sense why this commandment is first. It brings these things to our mind. Nevertheless, the commandment is addressed to children and, strictly speaking, refers to the relationship of them to parents. This itself brings to mind a reality 
that also explains why this commandment is first. It is amazing how often when we think about it, so often that we often don't think about it, it's so common, it's so normal with regard to us, this reality that while we, we are related to the church and to one another and we go to church and we live in our lives and it's all in the sphere of family so often even if we're not married or we're an older person who have lost a spouse, it doesn't really matter our current status or state. It ought to impress us that every single one of us, everyone, everyone in the whole wide world has come into being and is here because they were brought forth by parents, maybe terrible parents, maybe parents that have deserted them, abandoned them, maybe parents that are no more or parents that are at odds themselves. But the only way to come into this world is in the relationship of a child to a parent. And so God comes to the neighbor, comes to the redeemed child of God, comes to us with a commandment that recognizes that and points out at its very basic level how fundamental this commandment is to everything that follows. Again, it's another reason why it's first. Very really, God wants us to understand something, something very basic and fundamental, which is if we do not honor the authority of parents, if we do not recognize it, if we do not grow up learning this at its most basic level, nothing else can follow. No other commandment can be kept, will be kept, and in fact you're going to find out that it's impossible to serve and worship God as your Father also. These things are all tied together. When the Lord comes to children, He comes to children, therefore, as children of the covenant. That's another thing we must understand. God doesn't just come to children in general. He's not even here speaking to the children of the world. God does not come to all children and say, honor your father and mother. That's true, of course. All have that obligation. But remember again, God comes to the children of the covenant, he comes to those whom he has redeemed from the bondage of Egypt. Those who have been saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to children who have had Jesus Christ cover and pay for their sins. Though they might not know that yet, they might not understand that yet. But this is a commandment that comes to the covenant children and says, now honor your parents. Now what does that mean? And why is it important for us to understand this? Why this morning do we not just clear the auditorium of all the adults and have just the children? It would be a good exercise sometime. I wonder what the impact would be if we would just clear the adults out and say, all right, children, gather around. We're going we're gonna to listen to what God has to say to you as children. That would have an important impact. It would actually be good. Why? Well, it impress upon them you have one calling. Again, this commandment is first for a reason. It is God coming to the children of the covenant, coming to children and saying, I have one job for you, one, one calling, one thing for you to remember in your mind and, and carry out and live before my face. Well, that would be quite important because I'm sure the children here think I have all kinds of callings and duties. I, I'm being told all kinds of things. I'm being pulled in this direction and that direction. And when they look at the Holy Scriptures and when they listen to the sermons and, and when they talk things over with their friends and when they consider their whole life before God, they might be overwhelmed, overwhelmed by all the things that they're called to do. 
And it's really amazing that when it comes to the Ten Commandments, not only is there one commandment addressed to the children, which speaks volumes, speaks volumes about the covenant and the reality that God includes children in His covenant. That is, they are saved and redeemed already as children. You don't have to wait till they become adults. But then to the children themselves, look, God says there's a lot of things to remember and consider and do, of course, but this is the one thing. Honor your parents. Just stick to that. Now another reason this commandment is first is because it, and we can include the tenth here, shows how far short we fall in this regard and how quickly that happens, does it not? If we want to understand our natural depravity, and the depravity is that depravity that is in our children already at a young age, just consider this commandment. When does the sin of children first show itself, and how does it show itself? I don't think it would be an overstatement to say it's always with regard to the fifth commandment. It's in regard to that little child showing how naturally we're rebels. And we will not listen to, therefore, any authority. We will not honor anyone but ourselves. We come into this world thinking we are kings and queens. And already as a little tiny child, that child has a way of letting mom and dad know it rules the roost. You are not the king and queen of this home. I am. I am the boss here. And it's not right, it's not true. And even when they learn some submission, the sins most frequently come out with regard to this commandment. Is that not true? Is not this the commandment that exposes our sin and sinfulness by nature? We ought to consider, too, then, how it reflects the fact of how much danger we are when we can't or won't submit to authority. doesn't matter what that is. I bring this up because we easily find this sin in our heart. It is easy for us, whether as a child or an adult, to find in our heart the fact that we do not keep this commandment. And remember what it says. Talks about honor and trust and love and fidelity and faithfulness, all these things. Well, we have a million reasons why not to. It doesn't matter the authority, it might be the authority of the church. Point to all kinds of errors in the church and say, Why should I honor them? Why should I respect them? Or my mother and father, or a teacher, or a policeman, or the judge. And we have a way of excusing that. Excusing, of course, by pointing out their sins, pointing out their weaknesses, pointing out their failures. That's always how we do it, is it not? And God's law comes and says, you have no idea the danger you're in. You have no idea of the danger you're in. You're fooling yourself into imagining, well, I can honor God my Father, and I can respect God my Father, and I can obey God my Father, but not do that with regard to any authority in this life. God says you're deluding yourself, you're lying. So we need to know what this is about. It says, I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over myself. We may summarize honoring our parents or authority simply as this. It's very simple. It's very plain. Strip away all the externalities. Strip away the fact that it includes obedience normally. It is simply to recognize that God gave them authority over you. In fact, it's a little bit more than that. It's to recognize, the fifth commandment simply is to recognize and thus behave accordingly that God rules me through that person. See the relationship to the first table now? 
see why we're in such grave danger when we don't care about keeping this commandment, when we shove it, maybe when we make our list of important commandments, it's way down on the list. Or if you would ask yourself, what commandment do you likely keep more than others? You would say, this one. This one. And it's likely not true at all. You see, how often is it when even when we imagine we're honoring authority because we're obeying them, we're doing what they say, in fact, we're not honoring them at all. It's a very simple commandment. It's a very easy to understand commandment. It's fundamentally what submission in marriage is all about. It's simply to recognize this person, this person, this exact person, this person with all their sins and weakness, this person that themselves actually may be a wicked and ungodly person, this person. God put over me. That is, I recognize God gave them authority and power over me. In other words, God is, in the words of the Catechism, God is pleased to govern me by their hand. Not govern me by that person over there or the person I would rather be governed by, but this exact mother and father, this exact teacher, these elders. You see, we're so sneaky and tricky. We, we say, we, 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 well, we honor authority and we honor elders or we honor ministers or we honor the policemen, but not that one. Well, that's not the way it works. God has placed very wicked men into power if you doubt me on this, simply look at King Nebuchadnezzar. What a wicked, ungodly, anti-Christian man. Look what he did to God's people. And God came to his people and said, submit to his authority. So, honor. That's really what honor means. Recognize the legitimate authority that they have and that it comes from God. You can't just say, well, I... They're a legitimate authority because, well, they were elected or they were chosen or because certain people like them. No, God. God determined the election. God determined the war or the battle that put them in charge. God made me come from that particular woman's womb and made that particular man my father. God did that. That's how God appointed them. That's how... You see, it comes with that. Again, how can you honor and respect God? How can you serve God if you don't keep this commandment? And do you not see, do not I see, how we often and frequently are dishonoring God and being rebellious at God simply because we do that with regard to a legitimate authority that He put in place. Think about that. Think about that. Think about how wicked that is. How we profess our love and our respect and honor for God, our fear for God, how much we love God, but we can't stand. We hate in the depths of our being the people He put in authority over us, whether it be a husband, whether it be parents, whether it be elders, Whatever, it doesn't matter. Notice, and this is interesting, I don't have time to do it. You could do this today. Take some time sometime and look at the words that are used explaining what the commandment is and the words that are used with regard to God. The first commandment, you, you understand the first commandment could simply be honor your father rather than have no other gods before me, you can simply see, honor your father. God the Father, of course. And then the first commandment of the second table comes along and says, honor your earthly father. That would be a legitimate way to state the commandment. So it shouldn't surprise us then, when it comes to explaining the commandment, the same words are used. Love. Having no other gods before me means that I love the one true God and Him only. Love. 
honor, trust, fidelity. That means I'm faithful to them. Faithful to them. That means I'm not throwing them under the bus first chance I get. I'm not ratting out my parents, all their sins and weaknesses to everybody else. Keep it in the family. We'll deal with it as a family. But that's fundamentally what it is to keep the commandment. I show them love, show them honor, show them fidelity, and of course, then obey. Obedience and honoring are not the same thing. The one simply flows from the other. It's the outward expression of inward honor. And that's why sometimes we do have to disobey authority even though we still honor. We never dishonor. We never stop honoring. There's never a time when we say, I do not have to honor. Understand that. You may never ever say, I dishonor or I have the right to dishonor this authority. You do have the right sometime to disobey. And that is not when they're wicked or when they're ungodly, but when they command you to do something wicked or ungodly. Then you have to disobey. But you still honor. And you honor them by taking the lumps that are likely to come your way for disobeying. Now it is amazing when we go to this commandment, the example that God gives. And again, if you look at the example, then it should be clear to you why this commandment is first. But let's look at that a little closer. One could say, when coming to the example, that the way we learn to keep this commandment, the way we're taught it, is by example. It's not really the kind of commandment that you can order and command as such. Even God reflects that. God doesn't simply come to us as a Lord and Master with a big long whip and crack the whip and say, honor me, serve me, and then snap the whip and drive us into submission. No, that's again not God, that's not His love, that's not His purpose, that's not His will. His will is to have us willing, loving children, not just servants, but friend servants. So he goes about this quite a bit different. And that means then that as parents, that's how you teach your children this. You're an example. When you look at how you learn this commandment, you're going to learn it by example. That's how you're going to teach it. The father that runs his home that way, you will honor and respect my authority or else crack the whip, pull out the belt, is an unfaithful father, likely a wicked father. That man himself should look at God his father and say, hmm, how does God treat me? How does God deal with me? How does God teach me to honor and obey him? No doubt God has the authority and no doubt God has a big belt. Don't misunderstand. God disciplines and God punishes. And you run afoul of God, then you will discover that His punishments are eternal, fiery, and unimaginable. But toward us, even when God administers discipline, He administers it in love, does He not? He has a way, a gentleness to it never excessive, never more than it needs to be. Constant, continual, oh, why there's the first example, is it not? If we are going to learn this commandment and be taught it, not only are we going to learn it from our parents, we're going to learn it from our God. And this unfortunately is why some parents never teach it or never know how to teach it because they never learned it fundamentally from God that way. Or maybe they had parents who mistaught them. If that's the case with you, I feel sorry for you. And the mold can be broken. We need to go to God. Interestingly, God is a father and God has a son and God deals with his son a certain way. 
Now, we need to be careful when talking about the persons of the Trinity. There's no subordinationism in the Trinity. They are all equal, equal in power, equal in authority. Otherwise, one would not be God, while the other one would, well, wouldn't be God either. We don't do that. We don't teach that. Nevertheless, there is a certain order. Things come from the Father to the Son. The Son executes them and carries them out. And that surely is reflected in the commandment. But it's certainly reflected with regard to those outside of God, His own creatures. God being God, our fundamental relationship to Him will always be one of authority and submission. That will never, ever go away. Even when we have the great freedom that we have in Christ, we are always subject to Him, and thus His law. That's why His law cannot be abrogated. It cannot be taken away. It cannot go away. The freedom that we derive from the atonement, the freedom that we arrive from the propitiation for Christ, is the freedom to keep the law to look at it in a new light, to have a new relationship to that law, not one of curse and killing, but one of willing obedience. That's the freedom. So God teaches us much in His own example toward us. And one thing is, you will always be honoring me as your Father. That's our fundamental relationship. And that has to be reflected in all of your life, certainly on earth. I am your Father. Good for us to remember that when this commandment comes to us and says, honor your father and your mother. The first father and mother you ought to think of are not your earthly father and mother, but God your Father and the church, your mother. That's who the church is to you, your mother. When the commandment comes, we ought to say to ourselves, who is that father and mother fundamentally and first and foremost? And it's God and the church. And then we ought to immediately think of, well, how does God, how does God run things? How does God rule things? Now, even more amazing is not only does that reflect itself in our own homes and families, the point there being, I urge you, parents, if you want to teach your children how to honor you, then do it like God does, not the way the world does or the way that your instincts are. That will fail. That will backfire. You teach them love, honor, and fidelity by being an example yourself. I can assure you that if there are rebellious children in the home that characterizes the entire home, not just a child or two, that the root problem may very well be that the parents are not an example. They are continually showing they have no respect for authority whatsoever. They sit in their home and they rail on the church. They rail on the elders. They rail on the minister. They rail on the government. They, they rail on any authority and everyone. And the children are learning all these things. And if that's your children, then I can't fix that. And the church can't fix that either. And you are responsible for that. So... Teach by example. Show them that you love them and you are faithful to them and you honor them as God's children. You respect them and you will find that returned. Train them as God trains. Teach them as God teaches. Be an example to them. But one more thing consider. When it comes to example, our Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to point that out because, as I said in the introduction, if there's one commandment that exposes our sin and iniquity, it's this one. We have a million reasons why we don't need to honor and show respect and all these kinds of things, and it always really is the same reason, which is, well, they're sinners. We may elevate one sin over against that sin so we can respect this man, but not that one. 
But all the excuses really come down to sin. Because they've sinned against me, I don't have to honor them as a husband. Because they've sinned against this person, I don't have to honor them as an elder. Because they sin in their government, I don't have to honor them as rulers. Well, to cure all that, consider our Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to absolutely amaze us at the grace of our God in that this, in order to save and redeem us, as we considered last week, he was made of a woman, made under the law. Now look at the chapter that we read. Jesus, in being made of a woman, came under the law, and that law was honor your mom and dad. Now, contrary to what some think, Mary was not a perfect person, but a sinner like the other mothers in this church, and his father was a sinner like the fathers of this church. Sinful parents who, even if maybe they didn't have overt external sins that showed itself in their life, they were not abusive and showed hatred toward little Jesus, you can be certain they sinned. They made foolish decisions and mistakes. And that, perhaps with regard to the state, with regard to their own rulers and their synagogue, and certainly they were corrupt individuals, as they showed. How corrupt were the Sanhedrin? How corrupt were the leaders of the Jewish synagogue in Nazareth? How corrupt? And Jesus came. And one thing Jesus showed was he honored his parents and he honored authority. That's what that section we read is about. That's what it's all about. He had to gently make a correction at one time, which is again in that section. He had to remind his parents who seemed to have forgotten that he owed chief fidelity to his Father in heaven. And sometimes obeying his Father in heaven would come into conflict with being subject to his parents. And they had to understand that, that his chief responsibility was to God his Father. But think about that. Jesus in his human nature, the Son of God, God out of God, in his human nature subjected himself to sinful human parents and a sinful human government and sinful human church leaders. And he did that deliberately. Now, well, we're talking perfect here. You think that you get irritated, children, with your parents sometime over the mistakes they make? Even sins. They sin against you. You get irritated and upset. Rebellious instincts rise in your heart over all the corruption that goes on in government or the foolish, foolish things that elders can do. Well, you're not even perfect. You're a sinner like them. I want you to consider the Son of God, God out of God, light out of light. The Son of God, eternal in the heavens, comes down to earth. And now remember, to be righteous, he has to keep the law of God perfectly. He has to perfectly obey his parents. Even when he's in that synagogue, listening and asking questions, he is respectful. And he honors these men. And you can be certain there were some pretty stupid things that came out of their mouth with regard to their explanation of the Old Testament law. You can be pretty certain that if you and I were there, regenerated the spirit, we'd probably be laughing, be sarcastic, acidic. You've got to be kidding me. You guys believe that? Jesus listened, and he spoke. And then after he corrected his parents, that's why we read that thing, and he subjected himself to them. He subjected himself to their correction and their instruction. He patiently bore with their weakness and infirmities. So the next time you get your hackles up and you say to yourself, 
I don't have to honor that authority. Oh, maybe even I have the right to disobey when you really don't. Then you remember whose sons and daughters ye are. You belong to Jesus Christ. Now, do you see why this is the commandment too that comes with promise? How can you live long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee? That is, how can you live in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ? How can you be a son and daughter of Jesus Christ and dishonor authority? Or to put it another way, how can you do that and justify it? Say to yourself, well, that's okay. It's fine when I do it. I don't like it when my children do it, but it's okay when I do it. How can you call yourself then a child of Jesus Christ? You can't. You may. There's only one thing to do at that point and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for that sin and iniquity. I'm sorry for that wickedness. I see that there's only one thing for me to do, and that's submit to that lawful authority to reflect you in my life. And you see, that's life in the kingdom. And it's a blessed life. And that life is, is a life of submission. Can you imagine how gross and corrupt and terrible the body of our Lord Jesus Christ would be if it did not submit to Him? It's impossible to think about, isn't it? And what is it that makes that body so blessed and so wonderful? What is it that in glory will just simply be amazing, this glory of the church? And it's the fact that it's a church that is completely subordinate and submissive in love and honor and fidelity to its head, Jesus Christ, and reflects that in all of the body. That's the blessed promise of the commandment, and that's the blessing that was earned for you and me through the very obedience of Jesus Christ to authority. That's his word to us. That's his word that we should remember this time of year when we see him lying in a manger. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank thee for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for his word and his will. We are thankful for his word and will that we honor our father and mother. We pray, Father, may his spirit so live with us, live within us, that this is indeed how we live. Forgive our disobedience and dishonor. Forgive these sins in us and correct us and change us so that we bow, O Lord, to Thee, our God, and serve Thee and our neighbor as ourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.